I want to pray with you and referencing Psalm 27 that Maddie read from verses 7 through to 10. And we give you thanks, Lord, that you hear our voice when we call. And when David said, be merciful to me and answer me, he knew with confidence that that's who you were. A God who is merciful and a God who answers. It was the desire of his heart to seek your face. And God, that's the desire of our heart as well. We have been given opportunity because of these crises to have our lives slow down, to have time that normally we have filled up with other things. Time to seek your face. And that is our desire. And like Samuel was told by Eli, we want to be able to say to speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. What would you say to us as we seek your face? And I thank you. His confidence was, you will not turn away from us. For you are our helper. Even if other people forsake us, he said, the Lord will receive me. And so this is our great hope, God, that you are the faithful one in all circumstances of our lives. You never cease to be faithful. And so for the church family and friends who might be watching, I pray that by your Spirit, you would lift if there has been anxiety and preoccupation and worry because of the things that are happening. I pray that you would lift these things off of us, that we might just delight ourselves in who you are. I just had that picture come to mind of when Mary and Martha had you over for supper, Jesus, and Martha was frantically working on getting supper, but Mary was sitting in front of you and she was just listening to you. She was, her eyes and attention was fixed on you and we want to see you. We, as you lift these things off of us that we could clearly perceive and remember who you are and find our hope in you and our strength to continue on. Father, we know that our missionaries are facing similar situations because we've heard from Rebecca Welsh and Guatemala is in lockdown and Jen in Chile, they're in lockdown and we've heard from our sister church in Caldas, Colombia and they're in lockdown as well and so we pray for them as they're living through what we're living through. They would find hope and strength in you and creative ways in which to connect with people and to live out before our community, even though it's, we don't see one another like we did before, that in Jesus we have hope. And so thank you how good you are to us. We do ask your protection of the body here of Souk Baptist, that you would keep us healthy that you would provide for us. I don't know yet if anyone is facing being laid off, but that you would provide for our needs because you are the one that says, look to me and I will provide. Don't worry about what to wear. Well, don't worry about what you'll eat. Seek my face and all these things will be added. 
And Lord, also would you grow our capacity to stay in touch with one another so that as needs arise, they can be met by one another as well. So thank you. And we ask you as we now look into your word that your spirit who is the teacher would give us understanding and help us to see very clearly what it is you want us to learn from this unique passage and this not a pretty thing that happened between Paul and and Barnabas, but also even there to be reminded how great is the grace of our God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are currently in the book of Acts, chapter 15. And there are several important details that I want to remind you from last week. First is this, Paul and Barnabas had just returned to Antioch, having completed a missionary journey into a region, as you can see on the PowerPoint, known as Cappadocia, Galatia, and Asia, Cilicia, Pamphylia. Second thing that I want you to understand is that their home church, which had sent them, was comprised of a large number of Gentile. What I mean by that, non-Jewish followers of Jesus. Third thing in this chapter that we saw last week is that a serious threat had presented itself when some Jews from Judea came to Antioch and they insisted that the Gentiles who had believed in Jesus could not be saved unless they followed the law of Moses. And what these visitors were saying is that to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, was not enough. Paul and Barnabas, in response to that teaching, together with the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, they were given this brilliant clarity by God's Spirit as they met to determine how to respond to this threat. And the result was, in the decision that was made, the word of the Lord continued to be taught and preached, and the lives of many people were transformed. I say to you, this was a spiritual high moment for the church of that day. Now, as we've read and studied our way through the book of Acts, doesn't it feel like Paul and Barnabas were the Billy Grahams of that day and time. The council in Jerusalem held these two men in great regard, as seen by what they said in the letter that was written to the churches. And in Acts 15, 26, I remind you of the phrase they put in, that they were men who have risked their life for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question. Why did Paul and Barnabas take the risk that they did? Why didn't they go home after they were expelled from Pisidian Antioch? Or why did Paul walk back into the town of Lystra after the townspeople had stoned him, dragged him out of town, and left him for dead? And this particular verse that was written into that letter, reminds us they took the risks they did because of Jesus. His love and his truth had gripped them. 
And we need to remember this, particularly when we come to today's passage. All that we have seen so far in the book of Acts is that Paul and Barnabas would do anything to advance the name and the mission of Jesus until they didn't. The last six verses of Acts 15 describe an explosive disagreement that these two men had. And I want us to walk through these six verses together. So the question is, how did it start? In Acts chapter 15, in verse 36, what Paul did is present or float an idea that he had. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Paul cared deeply for the believers in the towns they had visited on their mission trip. And I think in light of what had happened in Antioch, he wanted to check on these new believers. He wanted to make sure that false teachers hadn't come and sown confusion among them. And if that had happened, then Paul and Barnabas, his plan was, they would be able to read the council's letter to these new believers and assure them, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now I'm certain in this regard, Paul and Barnabas would have been as united as they'd always been. So what happened next? There was a suggestion that was made by Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Now, Barnabas' suggestion was consistent with who he was. In Acts, 40, in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we're told that Barnabas' name was actually a nickname, which meant son of encouragement. In Acts chapter 9, and verse 27, we're told that it was Barnabas who took Saul to the apostles in Jerusalem and vouched that Saul truly had seen Jesus and been saved. And that in Damascus, he'd fearlessly preached in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, we are told that it was Barnabas who went to Tarsus in search of Paul and brought him back to Antioch to help in teaching the new Gentile believers. Stephen Cole wrote this sentence about Barnabas. He was gifted to see in an individual, what others missed or overlooked. Now, in his suggestion, let's take Mark, Barnabas was simply doing, wanting to do with John Mark, what he'd already done with Saul years earlier. This leads us into the next piece of what took place in verse 38, the stalemate. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. The first phrase in this verse is important in understanding what happened. Paul did not think it wise. It wasn't that Paul didn't like John Mark. In Paul's mind, it was a question of exercising good judgment. 
Now, in Acts chapter 13, when John Mark went home, we're not told why he did so, only that he did. But it would seem by the words Paul used, look again in verse 38, that he had deserted them and had not continued with them in the work that John Mark's decision had been a fear-driven reaction and that his decision had seriously impacted the ministry team because Paul uses very strong language. He deserted us. He didn't continue with us. And it would seem by Paul's reaction that up until that moment, what had taken place hadn't been addressed and resolved. And that first mission trip, which was fruitful and rewarding, I remind you, had also been extremely challenging and dangerous. And in Paul's mind, there was nothing to suggest the proposed trip would be any different or any safer. And that's why Paul thought it unwise to expose John Mark and the team to the possibility that he would desert them again. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever talked with someone who's given up on God or is not even willing to consider the gospel of Jesus because in their past, whether it's recent or long ago, they had an interaction with someone who professed to follow Jesus but who had in some capacity misrepresented him. Now, if that's happened to you, I think what you feel in those instances, I know it is for me, is what Paul felt about Barnabas' suggestion to bring along John Mark. Paul was passionate that those who served God and preached his gospel were all in, 100% committed. And we see this in what Paul said to the church in Philippi about Timothy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have, look at that phrase, no one else like him. What was it that stood out to Paul about Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare? For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Do you hear the echo of why the concern was there about John Mark? John Mark was looking out for himself. He wasn't concerned about the interests of those they were yet to meet and share the gospel with. Paul writes on and says, but you know, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And it was important to Paul that John Mark prove himself in the work of the gospel. And that's why Paul closes in verse 23 saying, I hope therefore to send him, referring to Timothy, as soon as I can to see how things so that as soon as I can, to send them as soon as I see how things go with me. And so I say it again, I believe in Paul's mind, John Mark hadn't proved himself. It wasn't that John Mark couldn't be useful in the work of the gospel, but when it came to this proposed trip, in Paul's mind, it was more than John Mark was capable of.
Which leads us to the next piece of this passage in verse 39, when I call the disagreement. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Paul and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Now this phrase, sharp disagreement, in the Greek language is paroxymos, from which we get our English word paroxysm. And that word means any sudden, violent outburst, a, a fit of violent action or emotion. And I would say to you, this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, it was explosive. It was intense. They each stubbornly held to their viewpoint. You could say they each dug in their heels and they weren't yielding any ground. And in no time, their frustration with each other quickly crossed the line into sinful anger. And when that happened, all hope of a solution disappeared. And the last piece, as I've read part of it already in verse 39 to 41, was the separation. Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and he left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And I reference you back again to the map. You will see there, Paul, uh, Barnabas and Mark went down to Cyprus. Paul and Silas went north. And as they did, they went into Cilicia. I'm sure the plan was they would eventually get to Derby and Tyconium as well. Now when I read this passage, and it's a short one, but when I read what happened between Barnabas and Paul, I feel disappointment. I think that's because I expected more of them. In my mind, these two guys are giants of the faith. And I'm going, how, how could they behave as they did when they're so mature in the faith? But God has purposefully included the details of what happened with them to remind us of several important truths. And I want to share three with you. First is this, the work of transformation in a follower of Jesus is not completed until, not when we put in 10 years of following Jesus, not when we put in 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. It's not completed until we breathe our last breath or Jesus returns. Paul would later write this to the church in Galatia. Chapter 5, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. No matter how long the time is that we have followed Jesus or how mature we may have become in the faith, we never reach a point where we don't need to keep in step with the Spirit. There was a solution to this conflict between Paul and Barnabas. We're not told what it was. But based on what Paul wrote in Galatians 5.25, we know that the solution wasn't found. It wasn't experienced. Because at that moment of paroxysm, Paul and Barnabas were out of step with God's Spirit. In some capacity, in some way, they had neglected their souls. Their reaction in the words of Galatians 5.19 
was a reaction of the flesh. Rather than a response that evidenced, as Galatians 5.22-23 says, the presence and the control of the Spirit. See, the life the follower of Jesus lives is because of the Spirit's presence and life within us. But every follower of Jesus is responsible to keep in step with the Spirit by daily feeding their soul with God's Word and by dealing with issues in their life that the Spirit surfaces and convicts of in order that the fellowship, their fellowship with God may remain unbroken. Paul would later write to the church in Ephesus and he would say this to them, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. After John Mark left them in Pamphylia, I'm certain both Paul and Barnabas were disappointed. They were hurt. They were probably angry with him. But the intensity of their mission trip was unrelenting. There were much more pressing matters to deal with. And when they did finally get back home to Antioch, it was the same. It was non-stop for them. Paul knew by what he later wrote to the church in Ephesus that in that situation with John Mark, He had allowed anger to fester and grow. And because the issue that it caused the anger was not dealt with, the devil gained a foothold in Paul's life and also in the life of Barnabas as seen by their reaction to one another. All of us live life in the fast lane. By choice, though sometimes it may not seem that way to us, We fill our lives so full with activity that there's very little margin left, if any. God's Spirit has included this story in the Bible to impress upon me, to impress upon you the importance of not sweeping relational issues under the carpet. In light of our forced isolation for the next number of, who knows, weeks, We've been given a gift to slow down and to check in with God's Spirit if there are issues that we are needing to tend to now. Here's the second thing that stood out to me from this passage. God in His mercy always uses imperfect people. Warren Wearsby wrote, if God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish His work, He'd never get anything done. An incident of failure, I remind you, does not permanently disqualify the follower of Jesus from being used by God. God uses even our flaws for his glory. The Bible is full of the stories of individuals who walked with God and at some point in their life failed him. Paul and Barnabas were not alone. Noah failed. Abraham failed, Isaac failed, Jacob failed, Moses failed, Samson failed, King David failed, Peter failed. But do you know what is amazing? You've heard this phrase before, but still, I need to say it. And may you hear it with fresh ears this morning. The grace of God is greater than our sin. 
This story in Acts 15 intentionally reminds us of this truth. And so if you have failed of recent, God by His Spirit invites you to come near to Him, to own what you did, to confess it as sin, in order that you might receive His pardon. It is not God's heart nor His will that this incident of failure would leave you permanently on the sidelines, weighed down by shame and guilt. By grace, the followers of Jesus have been saved from the penalty of their sin. And by grace, the followers of Jesus continue to be saved from the power of sin that remains in us. The promise of God is true. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's the third one. The grace of God, which reconciles us to God, also reconciles us to one another. Paul and Barnabas did part ways. They did separate from one another. And I'm not sure for how long, but it was for a season. But do you know they also reconciled? We're not given the details of how it happened, but they did again partner in ministry as seen in a statement Paul made that he wrote to the church at Corinth. He was talking about another issue, but he said, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? And that is significant. It's an incidental phrase. But at a future moment, and again I say I don't know how long it was, he and Barnabas served side by side again. Do you know what else? It was Paul who wrote more about Christian unity than any other New Testament writer. I truly believe the Holy Spirit used his experience with Barnabas to teach him and then to teach through him this emphasis upon the unity of Christ's body. I referenced just several verses, three from Romans 12, and then the others are there if you want to look them up on your own later. But he wrote to the church in Rome, be devoted to one another in love. Live in harmony with one another. If it is possible... If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one, everyone. And I believe this is one of the ways in what he wrote in which Paul's failure was redeemed and then used by God for the good of those who love him. Now what about John Mark? In spite of his failure in deserting Paul and Barnabas, he was forgiven, he was restored, and he went on to become a trusted and faithful ministry partner, not only of Barnabas, but look at what Paul later wrote in the letter to Timothy. He said, do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Lucas with me. Look what he said. Get 
Mark, and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. In the future, there was a reconciling between Paul and John Mark as well. But not only was John Mark involved in ministry with Paul, he was also involved in ministry with Peter. For in Peter's first letter, he said this, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And look at that. And so does my son, Mark. And I don't know if you know this, and if you do, I simply remind you. But I also remind you that John, who, or John Mark wrote the gospel according to Mark. The reconciling power of the gospel of Jesus is astounding. God's mercy covers our sin and it restores our relationship with Him. And this same mercy and grace is sufficient. It is enough to reconcile us to one another. And if there's a fractured relationship in your life, then I urge you to speak with the Lord as to what your next steps look like according to Him and that you might appropriate His grace in order to bring about reconciliation. The grace of God and His mercy is always more. Thank you, Lord, for what Your Word says to us here from this simple little passage. An incident that when we first read it seems like it's such a disaster. And yet to be reminded that you are the God of second chances. You are the God who rescues, who redeems, and uses. And so, Father, would you take this passage and others that we have considered, and by your Spirit, would you apply the truth to our lives? If there are things we need to deal with, that we might deal with them. If there's confession that needs to be made to another, that we might do that. And may we see as you reconcile us to you, that you also reconcile us to others, if that is in truth needing to be realized in our lives. Thank you for your beautiful word that is the power of God, that is able to reach deep into our soul and touch us in profound and deep ways. And so may the word of God build up May the Word of God shake if that needs to be the place. May the Word of God convict if we're needing that so that ultimately in our lives we might enjoy unbroken and unfettered fellowship with our beautiful Savior. And in His name we pray these things. Amen.